information service where it's some of our congregations. Look for themselves the promises of the lay for them in baptism. And the great times of one for the year. I have a sermon tonight that's almost the same as Michael's from this morning. I didn't say that one copied it, but one didn't. But John chapter 7 is a wonderful chapter. John chapter 7 comes, obviously, the end of John chapter 1 through 6, and 1 through 6 has been all about Jesus' ministry up, up in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee. And up there, he's been going around, and sort of out of the limelight of what's going on, but every now and again, they've been sending up people to find out what's going on up in the north. But now, things are changing, things are moving. Now, we can read the very beginning of John chapter 7, but it'd be great to have the Open in front of you. We have red Bibles and huge teal Bibles that are colour you want to call them. Uh, they greatly helpful if you to have it open in front of you. But one of the things that's been happening all the way through is that the question of who is Jesus has been coming up. Is this man the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the one sent from God? Is he the whoever it might be? Is he the one that we should be looking for? And as those at the time looked at what was going on, responded to what was going on, and as John has written it down, he's actually written it down for us. He's written it down so that we can ask the same questions. How do we, or who do we think Jesus is? Who do we think he's on about? What do we think he's come to do? In other words, in a sense, how do you judge Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Now, the points I'm going to make are basically on the back of this piece of paper Great place from take notes, jot down questions because at the end, on the other side, there's a little QR code where you can actually submit your questions and I'll answer them during the week. So great to have that open, great to have your Bibles So the great problem is what do we make of Christ? How do we come to any sort of judgment about him? After all, if God is your creator, if he's the one who made you, from atoms, from, from even less than atoms, into a person, on what basis do you assess him? So we have two questions. As I said, just running through the Gospel of John. Who is Jesus? How do you know? Who is Jesus? How do you know? And here in chapter 7, look at verse 24. This is a really important thing. This is the key verse for suffering that Jesus challenged us with. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. Now, John 7 shows us more of the conflict that, that the Jewish leaders have been having in Jerusalem with Jesus. And the conflict started uh, in this chapter, not before, it stays up to chapter uh, Galilee, chapter 6, and then back in 7, we start to pick up this idea of the opposition. Now, in chapter 1, and chapter 7, verse 1, it talks about a feast happening. You see it there, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is happening in September, October, uh, that time of so roughly around where we are now. And it's one of the three great Jewish feasts. I'd love to go all about Pisces, but people give me the other two, but I'll tell you, alright? <laughs> number one is Passover, number two is Tabernacles, and number three is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Now, obviously Passover, which was back in chapter 5, over chapter 6, happens in April. 
we're now in September, October, and we're looking forward to the next Passover. So the next Passover, the next year, April, next year, is when Jesus goes to the cross. So we're that close to the end of the story. And it continues, this opposition, this, this uh, conflict with the leaders goes on now to the end of the chapter where they try to arrest him and they fail to arrest him and they lay their hands on But looking at the back of it all is a threat of death. Now this is not the kind of drop in popularity for a young, young preacher. You know, just give a new young preacher on the block and it's all of a sudden a guy will go no, this is not like that. They're out to kill him. We're told the Jews want to take his life. So after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea, which is the south part of the country, because the Jew Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. So the situation is quite tense. Because now, we know how it turns out. Now, we've heard the story, how many times we've seen the story. And so I think we feel, you know, we don't sort of drag the drama of this. Jesus is going to this city that's seething with people. It's full of people. It's, it's probably six or seven times the normal population. And this is Jerusalem around at one of the great festivals. And he's just full of people coming to the and he, Jesus, is the subject of everyone's conversation. And the most important and powerful people in the city want him dead. His life is threatened. And what does he do? Well, he goes up to the temple eventually. We'll see. So let's turn to our questions. Who is Jesus? And how do we know him? So what criteria do we use to judge Jesus? Well, in the passage, Jesus is judged on a number of different so we'll be jumping around a little bit, which is why we're going to be on this Some judge Jesus by his miracles. Because he was Jesus' brother said to him, Flee Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. He said, the, the brothers see his miracles and, and Presume that he wants to do them so that people will follow him. But back in chapter 2, Jesus doesn't trust people who just believe because of miracles. Just like his brothers. Verse 5. Or well, even his own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't think, you know, that, that he was the one, he was the, the prophet to come. They believed in his miracles, they had seen all of that, but they didn't understand him. They didn't get what he was on about. They thought he did miracles so he could draw crowds, so he could make a name for himself, make a big splash down in the big city. But that's not why Jesus was doing miracles. Well, well, look at what the crowd was saying. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you're all amazed. Probably talking about the feeding of the 5,000. You're all amazed by that. You all want another meal from me. Now, if we could do miracles like Jesus, the world would be a part of our ministry. They would be there every day, touch me, do something, fix me. You'd be on TV every night, 
We have taken out various hospitals around the place. We've touched these people, do these things. Jesus was a sensation. But it was more than just one man. Verse 31. Still many in the crowd believed him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? You see, the number of signs and the type of signs is not the way Jesus wishes to be judged. The Gospels record the miracles of Jesus. But they are not the reason to believe in him. That's not their purpose. And he doesn't trust people who do believe because of the miracles. You can't base your judgment of Jesus on miracles. Now, I just want to take a little sidestep. You know how sometimes when you read books, you get little sidebars, you have those little cool, cool bits? I'm just going to take a little sidestep for a moment. Because in my growth group on Monday night, we came from Asian Northwest this week. We came across this little bit where it said Jesus didn't. So he said to his brothers, I'm not going to go to the, to the festival. And then two verses later, he does. And then when my brother would say, Jesus just told a lie. He said he wasn't going to go, and then he does go. Well, you can see it there. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival. And yet two verses later, he does it. And my group are not the only ones. If you look at your Bibles in front of you, very carefully at verse 8, you'll see just after the, the, the next word not is a tiny little letter A. That's a footnote in your Bible. And you'll see down the bottom the footnote says this Son of manuscripts, not yet. Though I reckon somebody else, a later scribe, has felt this tension. They felt, oh, they can't have Jesus' life, so let's put in the word yet to make it less. You know, less offensive to us who do not believe that Jesus is alive. Now, please get me wrong, I do not think Jesus has lied to But the whole verse says this You go to the festival, I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. But I think it's more likely says to his brothers, I'm not going, it's not time. God doesn't want me there. It's, well, I'll go when it's the right time to go. Anyway, that's my little side because my group had more problems with this and we had to chew on it and think about it and look it up. That's what I think he's saying. That's not You can't base your judgment of Jesus on miracles. Another way of judging is by the law, verse 22. That because those escaped circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the Patriots, you circumcise the boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with him for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? You see, um, the basic idea is one in every seven days, just like take a rest day. The seventh day, the Sabbath day, and rest. No work. Circumcising a boy was work, and you had to do that on the eighth day. Now, unless you had incredibly well organized obstetric services, that was not done. There would be people born on the Sabbath day. And so, or on the eight days before the Sabbath day. So people would have to be, boys would have to be circumcised on the eighth day if they were going to fulfill the eighth day circumcision. So you've got this conflict. And the conflict has been resolved, saying the circumcision 
was a more important thing than worrying about the Sabbath. Jesus shows them there are times when some laws are more important than other laws, like circumcision and Sabbath. So if the law of circumcision sort of overrides or is more important than the law of Sabbath, then surely it's better to be purely to be making people whole on the Sabbath. You see, you can't judge simply by appearances, but rather by the truth. Now, it's very easy to make mistakes concerning what things can look law-abiding, but in fact they're completely corrupt. You can dress up in all the right religious robes, you can be in the right religious sort of building, and be ordained, you can be consecrated, and still be. You can still preach rubbish. We can still lead totally immoral lives, no matter what the accoutrements may be, whatever the outside things may be. We can keep all the laws externally, but unchanged inside. The law is how they judge. But they need to understand it correctly. But understanding it correctly actually means keeping it. Verse 19. Has not Moses given the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to keep it? Now they deny the laws, you know, they, they treat it like the power of God is trying to keep it. But they're breaking the sixth commandment. They're seeking to kill you. So you can't use the law to judge others when you don't keep the law yourself. Because you can't understand God without obeying without living without without attacking on the third method is that of qualification verse 15 the Jews were amazed and asked how did this man get such learning without having been taught Jesus answered my teaching is not my own it comes from the one who sent me have you ever asked question about someone. How come he thinks he knows so much? How come she thinks she's so clever? Well, that's what the teachers are feeling here. You know, here's this upstart guy from up the north who knows he's never been to graduate school and now he is he's pretending to know more than us. Now, the way that rabbis teach are by quoting each other. No, Rabbi Shumuel says this and, and Rabbi Gamaliel says that. Rabbi this and Rabbi that. And so they, they sort of make this, this garden of teaching that they, they till and they talk about. And they, but Jesus doesn't do that. Because he knows his teaching doesn't come from Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Gamaliel. His teaching comes from God himself. He speaks the very words of God. And his teaching is true. Rather than evaluating Jesus by qualification, evaluating The next one is popularity, public acceptance, see verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? Now there's sometimes this unthinking understanding that if there's public acceptance, then it must be true. It's true if it's in the newspaper or television or on the front page of Reddit or 
Chooses to do 
through the will of God. We'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Jesus claimed his teaching is from God. And if you're in opposition to God, then you will reject Jesus' word because it is God's word. And if you're living according to God's word, if you are living to do God's word, then you will accept Jesus. So our understanding of who Jesus is has to do with our heart more than it has to do with our head. It's not that the facts don't matter, they certainly do. But when it comes to evaluating Jesus, it's our heart that's critical. It's only if we desire to do God's will that we will recognize Jesus. Because you cannot sit on the throne of your own life and see Jesus rightly. Jesus is supposed to be sitting there, not you. It's only when you long to obey God that you will accept. So, who is Jesus? What are his claims? Firstly, his teaching is from God. Jesus, verse 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus' teaching is from God, and that's why he doesn't quote the rabbis. They were sure he couldn't be the Messiah because they knew about him. Verse 28, and Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him. They were worried about where part Galilee comes from, but they should have been concerned about the God who sent him, the one that they didn't actually know. He claims to come from God. And to reject Jesus is to reject God, and to accept Jesus is to accept God. And Jesus makes claims about his future, speaks of his destination, he's about to depart, verse 33. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. He's going, but they cannot go. Where you go. He's going to work. But they don't understand what he's talking about. You won't be able to find him, he says. So they try and arrest him. But it's not yet his time. This mission, this mission to his death, still lies ahead. It's not yet his time. But he also makes claims about what his mission will be. This great claim lies in the effect that his short mission will have, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. When he comes to the moment in which he will honour his Father and glorifies himself by being lifted up on the cross, then will come the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecies, such as Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's the water that's coming. 
Then you have the fulfillment of the prophecy about the pouring out of the Spirit of God. And so, like, water in the desert brings life. So, so the Spirit of God poured out will bring life to people. And when he does this, you will become a spring which will overflow and bring life to others. So, you're not only a life receiver, in a sense, you're a life giver. It doesn't happen in Jesus' worship. And it doesn't happen apart from Him. It happens because the Spirit is poured into you. What Jesus is claiming is extraordinary, isn't it? I come from God. And I'm going back to Him. And when I go back to Him in glory, I'm going to give you life itself, which will be so powerful, so filled, so
distracted by those things. In this, the Christian theory, where in his death and resurrection, Christ pours his spirit into us and made us not just the recipient of life, but the giver of life as well. Isn't that an amazing thing? We are the givers of life. Not because we have life in ourselves. That's Jesus Christ. He is the one who has life in ourselves. But because we have been filled with the Spirit, whose very essence is life. And he pours that into our intellect and into you and through us into others. And when Jesus gives us that water of life, not only will I never thirst again, but I become the channel to satisfy the thirst of others. And that happens as we share the gospel, as we share that news about Jesus, as we testify of God's goodness in Christ in any way at all. Whether it's in a full-on, deep talk about who Jesus is and the things of God, which in my experience are pretty in-depth, but they do happen. Or whether it's a gospel nugget that we've, we've had some training in here, thinking about relating some aspect of Jesus and life and ministry and teaching to an issue that, that, that surrounds us, whether it's a big one or a small one. Or even in a work that because we love Christ. And people around us know that we love Christ. And perhaps we can have a word about our mission, what we do. All of these things are times when the Spirit can be at work pouring out through you life into others. Look for these opportunities. Pray for these opportunities. And remember, in the small things we do. And in the big God is pouring out living water, even when we make a mess of it. Because it's His Spirit at work. When that happens, when we really own the name of Christ, then that is true satisfaction. May the judge correct and understand the Lord Jesus Christ truly. May we not judge by appearances, but by truth. <coughs> Understanding that Jesus comes from the Father. And may our dreams and goals, aims and priorities reflect that truth. And if we don't yet know Jesus, Open our hearts and minds to openly look your stars.